going to read from Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to 20. Luke chapter 1. In the time of uh, Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright, in the Lord, were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will, be, will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the heart of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. And the angel, said, the angel answered, I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Father, we come from a place right now where we ask your forgiveness. We come from a place of arrogance and we confess it to you. We come from a place of unbelief and we confess it to you. We come from a place of constant questioning and doubting and we confess it to you. And we pray this morning that you will break open our minds and hearts that we would allow you to be the God that we sing about and we would allow you to surprise us with things that are beyond our understanding. And we pray, Father, that you will define us rather than have us restrict you to our understandings. And we pray, therefore, that your word this morning will come alive in our hearts and we will leave this place with a hope and a joy and an expectancy that we've never had in our lives before. And we ask the Spirit of God to do something in us today that will birth faith that is quite remarkable. In Jesus' name, Amen. I was inspired uh, <coughs> to talk this week uh, out of two questions that came up uh, from two people and this week, and, and it was, I love questions. I love the dialogue that happens out of questions. And uh, two questions came. One was email and one was in a conversation. The one was, I stand here and I sing and I worship God and I say that I love him and I don't mean, I don't mean it. 
because I feel a hypocrite, or that's what I used to feel, was the comment. And so I never used to sing it, but now I do. And the other person said, you talk about this, um, we ask you, Lord, for, for what we can't imagine, you know, more than we can ask or imagine. And I don't get that. It's a good question, good comment. And the first thing was, when we stand and worship God and we proclaim things like, You are God, I love you, I bless you, and everything else, we're not speaking necessarily at all about what is true in us right now experientially. We are speaking about where we're moving toward and what we're asking God to establish in us. Worship is about believing in God for what He is still to do in me, not sitting here saying, I can't say anything until I've got this all together, because then we'll never do anything. So when we become Christian, it's like you smell a fire far away, and you can just smell the smoke, and you know there's a fire, but you can't see it. And the beginning of heaven coming in our lives on earth as in heaven is that kind of smell of something that is different. And we start moving toward it. And we start proclaiming what a fire is like even though we can't see it. And the one about, I ask for things that are, that's what Paul was writing in Ephesians about what is beyond our imagination. And I responded to the person and said, well, you've answered your question because how can you know what is beyond your imagination or expectation? By definition, you can't know that. So how can you go before when you don't know what is beyond your imagination? And the the, the key to that is you hang out with Jesus. Because he says, if you hang out with me, I will lead you to places that you didn't imagine. And I want to talk today about allowing God to be God and looking at God's point of view. Because I think as, as Westerners particularly, we are very, very locked into our heads in a way that is incredibly detrimental to growing in the kingdom of God. So, I've got a few slides up here. Do you want to just put one up there, please? Do you know what that is? Quickly? It's a light inside of a light bulb. Next one, please. It's a garbage can lid. You've obviously spent time there. (laughs) Next one. You've seen this one. This is a fairly well-known one. It's two faces. One's a young girl looking away from you and one's an old hag. You see that? Then the next one's a similar one. You see that? Same, Same position. Two figures. You've got to look. I, can't, I don't have time to, 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 to point it out all to you. There's a, a young girl looking away from you, and there's an old hag sort of looking on a sideways view profile. Next one. Those lines are, are, are absolutely horizontal. They're uniform. I took it out and measured it. I couldn't believe it. Next one. That's just a never-ending circle. It's just, it, it, it just, uh... next one. How many legs does the elephant have? 
You've seen that. That's quite a well-known one as well. It'll start playing tricks on you the longer you look at it. Next one. That moves. You see that? You see it move? It's not moving. It's not moving. Next one. That's um, it's an old lady. Turn, click it, just click. That's her turned upside down. Next one. What do you read there? Okay, it's good and evil. If you read the white, it's evil. If you read the black, it's good. Next one. What's that? They say men see the blotches and women see lift. As a general rule. Can you see lift spelt out there? All right, next one. Can you see anything there? How many? It's difficult to see on the overhead. There are about five horses in there. And the last one, there's apparently a man's head in that, but I can't see it. Yeah, I, I can't see it. I, I'm just... Uh, are you being serious? Well, there you go. Right down, right down there, in between those two beans, there's an eye and a nose he's peeking through. Okay, so, so can anybody else see a man? Because you might be certifiable. Oh, okay, so that's cool. That's a brilliant illustration of what I'm trying to do this morning. All right, relax. Turn that off, otherwise they'll, they'll, they'll be sort of there forever. What's the point of doing all of that? The point of doing that is going, there are many things that stare us in the face. There are many things that stare us in the face that we might miss. There are many things that we might look at and we just see the old hag and we've always seen the old hag and it might not be all there is there. And it's that context where we say, what if God sees what you cannot see or comprehend? What if God sees in you what you can't see? And Christianity is about beginning to see life as God sees it, not as we see it. And for many of us, uh, we tend to restrict God to what we can see and understand. And then we wonder why nothing is happening. We wonder why it's boring. We wonder why it's so limited to good behavior and Bible studies, that nauseam about stuff to do, but there's no sizzle to it. Because my life inside doesn't seem to change. And it seems that Jesus talked about transformation, which was desiring things I didn't want to desire before. Being able to do stuff that I didn't do before. So what you and I are aware of usually is what we have become within the context of this world in which we live. So people do studies of culture. And we study and say, if you live in this place, this is the accent you have, this is what you will do, this is how you will probably behave. If you live in this area, these are the kinds of things you will probably believe in or do. But most of the context that we live in naturally is not where the Spirit of God has been. 
The kingdom of God doesn't look like where we live. Egypt doesn't look like the promised land. We've talked about this many, many times. And when Jesus came into the world, he lived as a citizen of the promised land, a citizen of heaven. He lived differently. He marched to a different drum. He obeyed a different leader. And I'm wanting to speak to this whole dynamic whereby we can so easily uh, culturize Jesus into our lives and lifestyles. And he just becomes the spiritual side of a very Western Canadian West Coast life. Now he's got to be somewhere, but I think there's more that he wants to do among us than just make us respectable West Coast Canadians who believe in God and follow Jesus, sort of. What does the kingdom of God look like? in Port Alberni, or in my heart or your heart. And that's a process of growing. But those perspectives up there, I like to use them just to humble ourselves because we so often just go, well, I don't see it, I don't feel it, so it's not there. Rather than go, I don't see it and I don't feel it, but when I asked about those, those coffee beans, about five of you did see it. And if we had time, I could come to you and say, show me how you saw that so that I can see it. That's what sharing your faith is all about. That's what sharing the gifts of the Spirit is about. It's not me storming out of the room saying, there's nothing there, I don't believe you, and I'm out of here. What happens? They will always just be coffee beans. I'll never know, because I haven't humbled myself to say, I don't see it, but if you see it, and I know you, and I trust you, I'm going to humble myself and say, please show me. And that is a principle of Christian growth that goes on through our whole lives. It's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing to see. You enjoyed seeing it, didn't you? So did you. You enjoyed the fact that others didn't see it. <laughs> Made you look good. And, and it's, I actually enjoyed hearing that there was something there. Because I didn't see it at all. And I think that's how we're meant to be living. Pointing out to each other visions of things that we don't see yet that we might move forward in seeing. It's called faith, growing in faith. You see, the, the place we live in is like where God hasn't been given the rule or the ownership. It's like coming across a house that has been derelict and hasn't been occupied for years. Or a garden that hasn't had a gardener for years. When a house is left and abandoned, what happens? It starts peeling off. It goes to ruin. When a garden does not have a gardener, it starts to overgrow with weeds. When machinery is left outside and it's never actually used and utilized, what happens? It seizes up and rusts. When a human being is separate from God, what do you think happens? What do you think a human being looks like when a human being is separated from God? When God has not had a place to occupy the house of that human being. When God has not been in the garden of that human being, what happens? It becomes less and less like it was intended to be because there is no gardener, there is no uh, owner inhabiting. The machinery is not being used and it's just growing rusty. And so when Jesus came into the world, it was like he came back to his house or he came back into the garden and he started saying, I have come to restore that which is lost. 
And he came to human beings who were rusty and overgrown and derelict. And he said, follow me and I will make you new. I will restore to you what you have not had. But what he also saying to human beings was human beings that he called had never seen a garden that was looked after. They'd never seen a house that was not derelict. They'd never seen a piece of machinery that was not rusty and unusable. And we, I think we think that a lot of what we see around us is pleasing to God and is normal. We are so accustomed to dereliction and overgrown gardens and rusty machinery, we actually think that is normal. It is normal for us in our fallen world. It is not normal in the kingdom of God. And what scares me so often in my life and the Christian church is that we think asking Jesus to come into the derelict house and actually weed about an inch of the garden is all he came to do. Or maybe just paint the doorknob. And he said, I've come to make it all new. But I'm going to work with you, not despite you. So what will it be? He came. So what's the first thing to do? The first thing, that's why it's so important to talk about. Many of us are not, you know, you can't change a derelict house by looking at magazines. You can't change a derelict house by looking at it from the, the road. There's a point where you have to, all gardening, you have to get into the garden. So the beginning of spiritual renewal, it's why we're having testimonies, is saying, so who's working on the house? And when God came into the world, he said, let Jesus come and make you new. So he said, I call all of you who are lost. There's no one who's not lost. Come to me. And he went to the cross to take away the sin, the cause of the dereliction. And he poured out his spirit to give the power to do the renovation. There's some people who have got lots of forgiveness, but there's no power to do any restoration. So they just live in a derelict house forgiven. But he said, I've done far more than that. I've come to make it new. And you can tell the difference between a house that's being restored and a house that hasn't been restored. You can tell the difference between a garden that is being gardened and one that is not being gardened. You can tell the difference between a life that God is working in because you will start seeing the fruits of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, faith and all that stuff. And so the important beginning is being able to testify, which means bear witness to, I have asked Jesus to come into my life to restore me and make me new. We need to know that. We need to be sure of that and confident of that and be able to say that to our friends. Without Jesus in my life, there would be no hope for me right now. That is my testimony. That's the beginning. He's not giving me the bucket and he's not giving me the spade. He's saying, you go in and do it yourself. You can try, but you'll just become very legalistic and very depressed. Or you can say, I've asked him to come in and work with me and with us. Does that make sense? It's really important. It's the humility of a human being who says, I am derelict and I need somebody to help me. It's called grace. 
It's called unmerited favor. It's called God loving his kids enough to say, I'll come and help you because there's a, there's a mess here. So the first bit of good news is God does not come and say, look at your house, it's absolutely disgusting. There's no condemnation in his spirit. He's basically saying, what I do is restore. Now, what's an easy example of that in our contemporary culture? Extreme home makeover. Ty Pennington. The guy who wanders in, so cool, man, and says, Hello! Kempson family, we're coming to renovate your house or rebuild it. You look at extreme home makeover, people write in and they say, this is happening and this is happening and, and it's usually a disaster. And they roll up in that big bus and they come out screaming and they say, we're going to do it. What do they do? The people, the people are overwhelmed because they're getting something they could never get naturally. They're getting something that they could never afford. And what happens? This team comes in. What do they do? The first thing they do, apart from giving each other hugs and everybody crying, which is wonderful, that's what Jesus does in your life. If you haven't cried when he said to you, Here I am, John Cox, I've come to make you new. Oh, God, thank you. That is potent. They go and they interview every member of the family and they say, they go into their rooms, if they have them, and they sit the kids down and say, what do you love to do? What's your dreams? I want to be a football coach. They, they write it all down. Then they send the family away on a holiday. You're going to Disneyland. You're going to the Philippines. You're going here. You're going there. Why? Get your hands off this place. We're going to look after it. You go away. Almost every time... The next celebration is we're basically knocking down the whole place. We're demolishing the place. Because there's nothing to really renovate that's going to be worthwhile. We need to start again. And so that's what Pennington and the thousand people in the neighborhood all come and do. They demolish the place and they show the family. Look at your place and they, show, they do all kinds of creative ways of blowing it apart. And then they start rebuilding. And they rebuild according to the dreams of those who live there. And the people are having a holiday. And they're trusting that what they've shared is going to be honored. And they come back in a limo with tinted glasses. I love it. And uh, <laughs> Not the limo. I love the, I love the spirit of what it teaches. And, and they have a bus in front and they come out and they say, are oh, you ready? And they say, move that bus. And right in front of them is their new home. And they see what somebody has done, which is totally undeserved by them, but it is profoundly, profoundly new and life-changing. What do you think God wants to do in your life? And what are you settling for today? A bit of paint on the front door? Just sort of mow the lawn? I mean, are you settling for a complete makeover? Or are you settling for just enough to look respectable? But inside the basement is... You don't let people in there. 
And you don't have people overnight because there's all kinds of stuff going on in your home that you're embarrassed about. And you don't get people too, too close to your life because you don't want them to know the real you. And you live under stress all the time and God is, a, is sort of there and you pretend it's all fine, but really it's not that great. And so when you're out with your friends, they really don't know much has happened because you don't let on much because there really isn't that much to show. And you get really tired of that journey. So after a while you don't even bother trying. And one of the reasons you give up is because you thought you had to do it yourself. Peter, at the Last Supper, was washed by, had his feet washed and he said to Jesus, uh, No, the whole of me. And Jesus said, You don't need the whole of you. I've washed, I've washed you. You just need your feet. Will you let God work in you more profoundly? Will you trust him that his perspective of your life sees things that are more wonderful than you can ask or imagine? If you will just take your hands off and for God's sake lose control. Aren't you tired of control? Of protecting the stuff that's just actually your arrogance or pride or whatever. The good news is that God says, I love you and I see you far more than you see yourself. Just let me in. Take a break. Go on holiday. What does that mean? It just means, Lord, here it is. I'm, so, I'm tired of trying to work it all out. And that's why Jesus says, just have a relationship with me and see what happens. Zechariah. He's a rural priest He's in his 80s probably. He's part of a priestly tradition. He knows the Old Testament. He's grown up in the Jewish tradition. His wife, Elizabeth, and, and you know, Zach and Liz. Everyone knows that Zach and Liz want children and they don't have children. And so they just uh, live in the country in a rural town and he obediently goes through his priestly duties. And then one day they call by lots and he gets up to go to his roster on the, on the, on the, uh, at the temple in Jerusalem. And he goes up there and he goes in. He's never done this before. And he goes into the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies, an angel appears and he says, uh, Zechariah, your prayer has been answered. You're going to have a son and he's going to be great and God's going to use him to turn the fathers, hearts of fathers. He's going to be a voice speaking in the wilderness. He's going to be all kinds of things. And Zechariah's going, I'm 80, Elizabeth's had it. We haven't had sex for 20 years. Sorry to mention that, but just kind of, you know. And, and Gabriel reams him out. I mean, I have a lot of sympathy for Zechariah, and I'm sure you do. And he says, well, you'll be quiet until that baby is born because you did not believe. I hang out in the presence of God and I came here to bring good news and you've just told me you don't believe me. So you're going to be quiet. Think about it for nine months. So the question is, obviously, when did God last have the opportunity to speak something remarkable into your life where all the circumstances of your life contradicted what he was saying. 
And how often does he have the opportunity to do that? Or have you already determined that it is not rational, God does not do that kind of thing, because the evidence in the natural world is that this is what happens. Zechariah knew the scriptures, and he was very faithful religiously. But God still blew his mind. Because he said, I have a purpose. Zechariah had been praying for a child, And when it happened, it wasn't as he expected, so he discounted it. But God was gracious anyway, because he is that way. And he said to him, you will not speak. And so Zechariah spoke after John was born, and they said, what are we going to name him? And they wanted to name him after the father, the, the, the people around them, because that was the tradition. We've always done that. And Elizabeth said, his name shall be John. And then they went to Zechariah and he wrote down, his name shall be John. And as he wrote it, he was released to speak. When he was obedient to the prophetic words spoken over him. And when he was obedient to that word, it was not only that word that was spoken, Zechariah was actually released to give a prophetic word over his son. And the gifts of the Spirit flowed through him because he was obedient eventually to what God had said. And John grew up, and when he grew up and was ready, he said, I am a voice, I am the one. He had heard the voice of the Father God speaking through his Father, and it was released into him. He was defined by the prophetic word spoken by his Father. And I, I just, again, want to ask, what defines your life? That's why we spend time in worship. I know some people struggle with worship. They go, let's get on with the service. Worship is like coming before the Lord and giving a big embrace. Some of us are so stuck and emotionally shut down, we don't even allow that. So we analyze. I don't like the singing. The the words are pathetic. We analyze everything and therefore we actually never are released from our hearts because God speaks to our hearts, not just our minds. We need both. And we need to be sure that both are engaging. Now what do I do? I mean, I'm speaking from experience because I'm, you know, totally um, on a journey of growing and learning. We all are. So I start where I am and I say, Lord, here I am. I just pray that you'll continue to release me, both emotionally and intellectually, to be in tune with you. And so I come here and I speak words of worship to you, and I might not feel like it at all, but you are God and you are the one who's going to define me. So I'm not going to just have you rotate around my feelings. I'm going to step into who I know you are and speak that out, which is what Cheryl was saying earlier. I encourage you to do that if you want to see growth. So all of us, what am I saying with Zechariah? I'm nearly finished, don't worry. Zechariah was old. None of us in this room have the right to opt out because of our age 
because of whatever experience or inexperience we've had. You have absolutely no right before God to opt out and say, I'm too old, I'm this, I'm that. Before God, you and I have hardly begun. And he is saying to us, each one of us, I have revelations for you like I had for Zechariah. If you will humble yourself and believe that I am bigger than anything you can ask or imagine. And the only way you're going to see the man in the coffee bean is when you let Jesus, my son, walk alongside you and open up what lies ahead for you. I will answer the cries of your heart in my time. But I want you to live out of relationship with me, not out of when those things get answered. I want you to live out of a place where you believe and know that I am a gardener who is restoring your garden. I am, a, I am a, a restorer who is restoring your dilapidated house. I just want you to day by day work with me and see what happens. Let him guide and control. In Psalm 81, it's, God said, I would so long to, to do more for you, but you wouldn't listen. There's one more slide and I just want to highlight a couple of things very quickly and I really mean this in, in, in three minutes because I'm really going, so what? What does this mean? How do you do this? I think you start by declaring your passion, your dream. And God raises those up in you and you might discount them but there's, I, I, I guarantee you, if we went through this place right now and said, what is your dream? What, it, what, what rises up in you? You might be embarrassed, but you might say, I'd love to do this or that or the other. God plants those things in you. So you need to start speaking your dreams out and not negating them. So you identify your dream, you speak it out and declare it. Invite the Holy Spirit to begin to work with it. Share it with others so that they can say, so how's it going? There's way too much privacy. Share it with others and say, how's it going? Because they'll confirm it for you. And finally, do something about it. Do something. If you want uh, all in Ds, you can dream, you can declare, you can delegate to the Holy Spirit, you can discuss with friends, and then you can do open and practical and pragmatic with your faith and walk with God and see what happens. But he will speak out of your heart and listen to your heart. I'm not talking about emotion, I'm talking about your spiritual heart. And I pray this morning that you will be encouraged, whether you're Zachariah, who's older and going through the emotions of religion. I'm not saying that insultingly, I'm just going faithfully doing stuff. God is saying this more. If you're getting despairing about your life or your circumstances let him be the gardener let him be the restorer let God have his hands on you and just let Jesus day by day begin to work out something in you that you can't ask or imagine and make sure you have friends around to share that journey with let's stand please
us an opportunity to not be rational, but to be sensible. And all I'm doing right now is giving us an opportunity to respond to what God's Spirit is releasing in us. Because it, it, it would be very cool to, to walk away and say, well, that made sense, that was nice. But this is a chance to also go, Jesus, here I am. Um, this is the cry of my heart today. Maybe I've talked a lot about you restoring my life, but actually I've never let you in. Maybe you restored a bit of it, the front porch, and I've actually got stuck, and we haven't had work on my life for about 20 years. I don't know where you are, but you'll know by the life that pulsates in you. And if you don't know where you are, then just ask Jesus, give him permission. But I just want to give you an opportunity, and myself an opportunity to say, Jesus, you see us. I mean, there's parts of my life that look like those coffee beans. I have no idea what's there. But I want to give you permission today to take me further. I want to give you permission today to renovate my, my house, to go into another room. I mean, one of the things you can symbolically do in your spirit is just give him the keys and say, Lord, there is a, here are the keys for my life. There is nothing that I'm holding back. And I'm just going to ask you to lead me through the rest of my life. Some of us have, have, have had visions of what we want God to do. And they're so small that Jesus says, why are you only asking for that? I don't know what he's saying to you. I know he's speaking. And so, Holy Spirit, we just pray the release of faith, release of expectancy, the release of you becoming a friend that we maybe haven't known before. Thank you that you don't look at our lives in despair. You look at our lives and say, I've come to help you. There's some of us who have got really tidy front gardens, but the back is a disaster. And God's speaking to you about that. There's some of us who have quite a few well-lit and well-decorated rooms, and there are others that we don't go into. And God's speaking to you about that. Saying, don't be afraid of my opening up your whole life. I've come to set you free. There's some of us who are tired and we don't have a whole lot of vision for the future. And God's speaking to you about that and saying, why don't you let me give you a new vision, a new hope, a new sense of purpose. And you can ask him to, to release that in you if you want. The bottom line is that the Lord looks at every single one of us and says, 
let me release in you what is beyond your imagination. So Holy Spirit, we pray for the release of that in this place. Thank you that you have a wonderful uh, vision for each person here. Thank you that you're not just speaking theory, that you're speaking life and hope and healing and joy. And so as we break bread together, as we pray over one another, we pray that these things, these words will become real in our hearts and lives. I just want to close by praying for those in this valley who have lost people this weekend through death. There have been a number of accidents and tragedies. And we just pray for those families, Lord. We pray that your healing spirit and your presence will be upon them as they grieve. And we pray, Father, for wisdom that we would learn how to live wisely and carefully. So will your spirit continue, Lord, to do what you want to do this morning and we bless you that you're always ready with your arms out and your sleeves rolled up saying let's get to work. So we pray that you will do so in Jesus' name. Amen.